Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, Ask the AWS Strategist. I'm Jake Burns, and I'm joined again by my colleagues, Brian Landerman and Ashit Fashojani. Today, we are talking about communicating technology to people without technology backgrounds. Gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us again. So today we're talking about how to communicate technology to people who don't have a technology background. What's worked for you guys? I mean, I think in general, understanding the context around the challenge you're trying to solve and really articulating that in a way that is um, simple. You know, one of the things actually at, at Amazon, which I found really interesting is that we intentionally try to write, I believe it's at a 10th grade level. And the reason is because it's just much easier to understand and you can read it much more quickly. So it cuts out a lot of the noise that, you know, bigger words and whatever else um, kind of, they, they, they end up slowing you down in your reading. And, and so that's super interesting, I think, in terms of this conversation where I think it's the same kind of kind of situation where you would want to simplify the conversation and make it much easier to understand. Not, not, I'm not saying dumb it down, but make it more relatable. And so I, I tend to use storytelling with that. Um, you know, from if, if we look at cl- our cloud journey or even artificial intelligence, I actually wrote a blog um, on our the enterprise strategy blog about artificial intelligence. And I have to give credit to one of uh, my architects who kind of gave me a lot of that that thinking in terms of artificial intelligence, but it was you know, putting up pictures of um, blueberry muffins next to chihuahuas and and different pictures of apples and being like, you know, these are all apples. But imagine if we never showed you an example of, you know, the black Apple logo for the company. Like, how do you know that that would be an Apple if you need to interact with different examples? And so if we never told a machine that that was an Apple, like, how would you know? And so, you know, just walking through those sorts of examples where, you know, they can see how d- difficult it is. You're like, wait, is that a chihuahua or a, a muff? I'm not sure which on that one, you know? Um, and so that was kind of how I, I got the point across with machine learning, but it was, it's like telling the stories and in, in connecting the dots to something that they already understand. So for cloud, that was that comparison to um, energy, the evolution of, of, you know, power, which is a, a common example. But if you dive deep enough into that example, um, you really better appreciate all of the changes that have occurred as a result and how much we've gone from resisting that change or thinking we needed to own right, the, ge- the generation of power to waking up every day relying on someone else producing it. Right? So you know, when, you get, when you get that understanding of, oh, wait, I've already done this once before. Cloud's not that different. Why are, why are we treating it differently um, that that's kind of the general approach I take. Yeah, I think um, um, this is in fact one area that uh, is very close to my heart, um, especially spending uh, time in media. It, it's really about how do you get audiences' attention and how do you communicate what you're trying to do. I have found that having a track or a strategy around branding and communication and investing and paying equal attention to that uh as you would to any other aspect of the initiative, uh, goes a long way. Uh, so for anything that, uh, for example, we did, uh, we planned out a consistent theme, branding. Uh, how are we going to um, make sure that visually people can relate to 
this particular initiative, a product, uh, or whatever we are trying to do uh, on a consistent basis. So every time you see uh, an email or you go to the app or you attend a meeting uh, or you participate in a launch, uh, we wanted to make sure that from a visual scheme to uh, the words being used or the theme being created was consistent. So we we invested quite a bit in making communication a big part of what we did. And I was very fortunate to have uh, uh, some really creative team members uh, who who took it to an extra mile. Give you one example. We uh, we are working on uh, a global program sales product, which we called it. GPS, uh, so to play with uh, GPS. So we had a logo that looked like an earth uh, and a pin. And as we were bringing business units on board with that product, every time they would come on board, uh, instead of just giving them, uh, here is a cheat sheet, here is a training, here is a video, we would actually give out a, a boarding pass. Uh, so for each a track that come on board would be a printed boarding pass, which would have here are the four things that you have to do uh, because we were going with a theme around uh, global travel and being able to work globally and sell globally. We would create swags that went with that theme. Uh, so we had luggage tags uh, that were GPS um, because it was again around a global product and collaboration. Uh, so there are many I think there are many creative ways to do that. What is important for IT leaders is to invest in that. And inherently, that is not a skill set that IT has, right? So uh, it's important to build your teams with that skill set. Right. I think one of the one of the first things to realize is that um, as technologists, we, we tend to think the more complex something is, the smarter we are, right? So, But it's in fact, the opposite is true. The, you know, there's a saying, uh, I would have wrote you a shorter letter, but I ran out of time. Right. And the, and the key is, you know, it's pretty easy for, a, a, an engineer to just kind of brain dump on somebody. It takes much more effort to be concise and to, um, you know, and to, uh, to explain it as you would to a 10th grader where they understand. So, so first understanding that that's a valuable skill to have especially if you're a technology person. And then secondly, understanding that your success um, beyond a certain level is going to depend largely on your skill in this area. And it, that it's a skill that you do need to develop if you want to progress in your career. And that it may become at some point the most important skill that you can develop. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Jake. It's one of the the bigger challenges, right, Of for the even say CIO is making sure that you are part of the business, right? And not the the technologist that maybe is really smart, but I don't necessarily understand, right? I think there's definitely a history of, of that, I think, in, in the IT profession. And as we make a lot of the shifts that we're trying to make, it's, it is very important to have that skill where you can be a translator, right? Of, yeah, I have this huge amount of complexity and, and technology behind me, but this is what it means in terms of our business. This is, um, you know, this is why we need to make this sort of change in, in, in doing so, um, in terms of that, that makes sense and, and are easy to understand. I, I, I agree. It's, it's so, so big right now. I think it's also resisting the urge to go into how we do it, 
right? I think oftentimes mm. when we are talking about products and, and technology, because there is so much effort and, and sweat and tears and love involved in creation of that, that uh, we like to talk about how we do it. Um, but but what really your stakeholders are interested in, what it means and why are we doing it? Um, so it's also resisting that urge to go into too much of how. Exactly. They're not interested at all in how smart you are and how elaborate your solution is. They're interested in the results. They're interested in what you can deliver that has value to them, right? And that's that's going to be the why, not the how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the best advice I can give, right, is put yourself in their shoes. If you're sitting on the other side and somebody's presenting something and they have Gantt charts and, you know, all this elaborate stuff that you're like, it's easy to fall, you know, if, if you'd, if you'd fall asleep sitting in that chair, then, then maybe you should change, you know, what you're talking about and how you'd, uh, how you'd present it. Um, I think, you know, you, you need to get them vested in that message and, and that's, that's why I use storytelling. Yeah. Even some of the terms that, that, uh, we inherently use, right? Uh, user acceptance testing and approval and project <laughs> plans. And they're, they're actually, uh, pretty common for, uh, uh, us, but they may not be for others. So right. uh, how do you, we, we, in fact, one of the things we had done was uh, we mapped out the process of launching a product uh, and, and into sort of layman terms uh, so that what we wanted to say is this isn't user acceptance testing. This is where we need you to kick tires, right? So let's start talking about, well, this is where we want you to kick tires, and and that's a subtle change, uh, but it it is important that um, they can understand that. Another thing I found is using physical or or relating what you're trying to do with physical objects, right, makes it much simpler to communicate information. When we moved uh, one of our big uh, research uh, application, which processed massive amount of data, uh, was very expensive to run on premises. Uh, and we rebuilt on AWS using uh, serverless architecture. Um, the cost went down from uh, $30,000 a month to, I think, like $5 a day or something like that. Um, order of magnitude cheaper. Um, and the way we communicated that to business stakeholders was that this cost is less than a Starbucks Vente to run, right? Um, and that's an easier message than saying, oh, I saved X percentage of money because I moved from on-premises to AWS, and here's what it did. Yeah, exactly. I found analogies and metaphors are super powerful in having these conversations, right? Because you can take a subject that your audience is already very familiar with and tra- draw a parallel to this um, technology that's outside their realm of understanding normally. And they can have those aha moments, you know, if you can do that. So definitely something I leverage quite a bit. Videos work quite a bit, right? Always have videos. (laughs) Says the media Visual aids. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you had great videos. Yes, we had some really great videos. uh, uh, And and it it helps. Um, It's a little bit of investment. Um, We were lucky to have internal production teams. But even if you don't, get some help. There are amazing partners out there who can uh, help you visualize and communicate uh, information that otherwise would take you hours in like two minutes. Uh, and and it makes it so much easier to consume. It also builds excitement, right? It builds excitement. Uh, and 
it's such an important part of change management because what we are trying to do with communication isn't just driving the point home. It's also generating that excitement uh, to drive adoption. I didn't have this great production team I could take advantage of, although I, at Cox, we definitely um, had our fair share, but um, wasn't necessarily at my disposal. But I did use imagery. I was intentional in my presentation of of the like power analogy of of pulling some images so you could you know immerse yourself in the time and really draw on that comparison. So um, even if you don't have a production uh, studio or, or have the funds for a video, I think you can use you know imagery to help tell the story. It, it is a great way to um, fast forward people's understanding. Right where it might take lots of words to fully describe the situation, fewer words with a great picture can can go a long way. Right, and fewer words with an analogy as well, because you're yeah. leveraging their existing understanding of this other thing that perhaps they've built over a lifetime, and you're just making that last little connection for them, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I feel like um, you do this pretty well in your modern application uh, deck. Brian, with the uh, the fast food restaurant when you're describing microservices? Yeah, you know, that took me a while to come up with because I was like, how do I articulate this situation? And yeah, the reason I like that is, is exactly what you're saying. It, it is a the known model, right? We've all interacted with, you know, counter, um, counter order uh, restaurants or, or fast food. And yeah, it is, you're, you're just, to your point, you're building on that existing knowledge base but you know the the like I'm drawing out in that example. I'm drawing out. Hey, look, this could be an event, and you see, it's so easy to understand how these two different ways of accomplishing the same thing. Uh, it's a it's a great way to drive it home. Um, it can be challenging to come up with you know those comparisons, <laughs> but when you nail it, I think it, it it makes a big difference. Right. It's like I said, it's a skill. Being able to explain things in a simple way is a skill, and if you do it right. There's always going to be a lot of effort behind it, but it'll look like there wasn't. It'll look like it was effortless. And that's how you know you've nailed it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, because um, we like we in IT think like to think that we invented microservices, but actually fast food was doing it well before IT was. <laughs> yeah, well, so uh, Gregor, one of our uh, teammates, I've been checking out his stuff recently, and he does a lot of... Um, kind of examination of architectures in the real world and, you know, draw, draws like, I think he did a coffee shop analogy and it's, it's great to take these concepts, right. That, that, yeah, we are in a complicated world and, and building complicated systems, but those systems exist all around us. If we really just stop and take a look. So when did you guys first realize how important this skill was? Cause at some point in our careers, most of us started off, you know, in, in technical work, and we realized that we're going to have to develop these communication skills and we're going to have to communicate to people outside of IT um, and be able to communicate the value of IT uh, to those folks. Can you guys pinpoint a moment or a time from your career when, when that really resonated with you, that you, you understood that? I mean, I, I think that communication skills is something you develop. I, like it, you have to work at it. I, I, but I do agree with you. There are some, I don't know, born aspects of it maybe or, or inherent abilities. But like, I remember somebody at one point telling me that, um, and I was, I was definitely early in my career. Um, 
in management probably at the time, but somebody saying, Hey, you, you do a good job of making this understandable. Right. And it, and it was just maybe how I saw things or how I understood it and could like, for me, it was natural to relate it to something that was already understood. So I think that is one of the skills that I've had, but if you look at communication broadly and, and, you know, especially leading a big organization that that was a skill I'm, that's a skill I'm still working on. Right. (laughs) In my case, I would say, I don't think there was a sort of a single aha moment of shift or change. Um, when I started out as a developer, I kind of started out asking, uh, and we used to work in waterfall at that time. So you would get a bunch of specs that somebody had put together and, and, you know, you would write, my job was to write a bunch of code. Right. And the way I did was I, I found it a bit boring to do. Right. So I would go and ask a lot of questions to people and say, why, why, why are we doing this? Can you tell me why? Right. And that sort of curiosity helped me uh, a, get to talk to people who I would otherwise not. So I think one advice that I would have is if you have an idea uh, or if you're trying to communicate, talk to diverse set of people and try to explain it to as many different people as you can, not just people that you work with. And then that will help you sort of hone in that skill for yourself. And also the questions that will come up will prompt you to think a little bit differently. Um, so that's one one advice I would say is um, when I'm excited about something, I just cannot stop talking about it. So I would go and talk to everybody, even if my if even if I found my neighbor in the yard uh, in the yard, I would go and talk to him about that. Right. So <laughs> it just helps uh, uh, clarify in my mind what I'm trying to say and and also prompts me um, with some questions that I may get to to refine that point of view. I'm so glad you brought that up. That that it it helps you clarify in your own mind what you're trying to say, because I think that's one of the most important benefits that you get out of doing this. So even if your job, if you say you're, say you're an engineer and you never want to be a manager, you never want to do non-technical work, it's still beneficial to learn how to talk to non-technical people about these concepts because it forces you to really understand them. It's so much easier to talk to somebody who already understands what you're doing than to explain it to, you know, your mother or, you know, your neighbor or somebody who may not have any background in it. And it forces you to perhaps learn things you thought you already knew in order to do that explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do find that writing helps a lot too, you know, to, to clarify your thinking and to make sure your thinking is complete. Um, so I've, I've especially having, you know, joined Amazon, I, I think I have a greater appreciation for that, but I think it's partially the writing and, and partially the, the feedback, you know, if I look back at communications, you know, or changes, new initiatives, whatever it was, um, I did, you know, to Ishit's point, seek diverse feedback from, you know, I had diversity in my, in my, uh, direct reports. Uh, my HR business partner. And so everyone kind of brought their own lens to it. And and I think that's really valuable. It ended up strengthening my thinking. You know, the same goes back to the storytelling that we were discussing. Like I, I built a working group of very diverse thinkers um, to help sharpen the story. And I look back at, you know, what resulted the, the end result. And it was a little bit of everybody, you know, and it, and it's much stronger that way. And it, and it reaches a broader audience with that diverse perspective. Mm. 
That's right. It's also surrounding yourself with uh, with people and skills that you don't necessarily have or, or you have, but That's you may right. not be great at, right? So that brings up uh, an interesting question that I have. So it's one thing to for us to develop these skills ourselves, but as leaders, we need to instill the same kind of culture and attitude and skills in our teams and in the next generation of leaders that we're cultivating. So how is it different um, getting people who you're mentoring or people who work for you to to develop these skills versus developing developing them yourself. How do you first of all get them interested in doing it, and then second of all, get them actually to where they can do it? Also, it makes I think to get them interested in doing it. What I've found is it is the realization that it makes your job easier, right? So even if you are a developer, a designer. Uh, an ops person, uh, and you want to, you really enjoy that. The fact that you can communicate uh, what you do and why you do it better and more effectively actually makes you better at that job. One thing that I uh, have advised people and, and try to do is don't create layers between people doing the work and people presenting and communicating the work, right? That's, that's the one way to learn is to do it more often, right? You learn by doing, uh, and I'm a big believer that you learn by doing. So give people the spotlight, give them time uh, to go communicate. If they came up with a brilliant idea, let them actually get up uh, in front of their stakeholders and talk about it and help them. But in many companies and many teams, what I've also seen is that you have the doers, you have the watchers, and then you have the marketers, right? And, and those layers sometimes create uh, an issue, especially when you're talking about the work of the product and the uh, IT team to the business. Um, so give people more exposure opportunities to speak, encourage that they write, they speak, they get in front of teams. If you're not comfortable, do it uh, in a small forum. We actually ran uh, and sponsored a pretty big Toastmaster uh, chapter uh, for our team. And it was so popular um, because Folks really loved getting that peer feedback and and enhancing their public speaking skill in a very safe environment. Yeah, I uh, learn by doing. Totally agree. I I have two things that you just made me think of. Hopefully, I'll remember both of them. Um, but the first is, I think that that you can play different roles and still learn, but it's important to to try each position, right? If we're, we're thinking about sports or something like that, I think. And, and so we're in the middle of, of our annual planning and we say, you know, who has the pen, you know, for, for our narrative writing, it's like, who is responsible for the final version of this, this piece. And, but that doesn't mean that that person is doing all the parts, right? There's other collaborators. And so I think, you know, similarly, you can be one of the collaborators and still learn a lot about, and build this skill, but it's also very different if you're the one with the pen, right? And and you're the one organizing it and and trying to draw the the pieces out and and connect the dots. And so I think you've got to do both. You know, you've got to be on both sides and and obviously start not being the one with the pen, but but at some point, yeah, you have to take that ownership um, to Ishit's point and and surround yourself with folks that can help you 
you know, deliver the right message. So the other thing that uh, that came to mind when you brought up Toastmasters, which I'd love to talk to you guys about, because um, I was actually I had a, some time today and I was listening to our podcast. I've been a little behind and haven't haven't been able to uh, to listen to all of them. But I listen to them all the time, Brian. I bet you, well, <laughs> probably because of my voice. You just listen to my parts, yeah, especially. Yes. Um, no, but one thing that came to mind then and, and Toastmasters kind of reminds me of is as a leader, as an individual, it's it can be very difficult to change, to expose your weaknesses, to publicly work on them, right? Whether that's in a, a training class or, you know, amongst your peers or whatever else. And just this idea of get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And as you were talking about the Toastmasters, we, we had one at, at Cox Automotive and I had like at one point considered it, but I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to put myself out there like that, but you know, the reality of the situation is that that's a huge part of, of learning is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And the more you practice it and the more you let yourself experience that and come out the other side unharmed, you know, um, I think the, the, the more you can do it. And so I think with all of the things that we've been talking about over the the past many episodes, that was one thing that kind of just stuck out to me because I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, senior leaders that have been at this a long time that are not comfortable exposing themselves. Like they're supposed to be a buttoned up leader. And um, I think that human side, that vulnerable side is actually really important and really powerful. Very true. Absolutely. I think authenticity in communication is, is I think, one of the most important thing, uh, and it comes through. So um, one thing I have uh, over the years sort of learned is take the feedback, but at the same time, don't try to become so mechanical that you lose your natural you know, authenticity. So if I'm speaking, if I'm delivering a presentation, and if I trip on something, you roll with it. And uh, if if I'm really finding the right word to say, and if I pause and I say, mm, let me think about it, then I do that, uh, right? So you try to improve, but I, I think be natural, just just be authentic. Right. So these are, these are all great ideas um, for, for improving the way you communicate. I want to dig a little deeper, though, on how do we get our leaders who, who work for us to do the same? Because, you know, you're saying get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I would argue that if you have any sort of significant large scale success, personally, you've, you've, you've mastered that, or at least you're comfortable to some degree with that, because it's, it's in my mind required, uh, having that beginner's mindset and, um, being willing to learn and being willing to make mistakes to grow. But how do we convince our people to do the same? Because this is something I've struggled with, and I'm sure you guys have, have run into this as well. Not everyone uh, is going to be willing to do this. And some are going to require more of a push than others. How do we give them that push? Great question. Love the question. But I think one of the important things that we need to do for our team is not force everyone to have all the skills or do all the things or right the having multiple career paths, right? So, hey, you're a great technologist. And, and for a while, in order to make more money or to have more influence, you had to go to management. And, you know, so I think opening up the career paths and, and I, 
I don't think you should make it so small where it's like, well, you can't talk to anybody. So you're, you get to sit in the corner and, you know, <laughs> like there, we do have to expand roles and, and collaboration, I think is really important. And in order to collaborate, you have to have communication. So I think you're right from that perspective of getting our people to um, be interested in building these skills and to really work on them. I, I do think that's necessary, but I just wanted to kind of caveat that it doesn't mean that everyone has to be good at everything. I do think it's okay as an individual to define your box and be like, you know, this is, I can add value to the business doing these things and I'm going to get really good at these things. Um, and others might, you know, or hopefully have some complementary skills and, and together we, we make a great team kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I, I just wanted to kind of put that out. I don't know, Ishid, if you want to actually answer his question, cause I didn't. I was, no, in fact, I was, <laughs> I was actually going to, uh, say something similar, Brian, that, uh, uh, you, you don't want to force people into who they are not, right? Uh, and so play to your strength. And I think awareness comes before mastery, right? So as long as the first step is you're aware of what your strengths are and where you need help, whether it's as a leader, as a team member, or even within your team. And if you know that, go seek help, augment that skill set, complement that with with hiring the people uh, who would bring that skill set to the table and uh, and ask for help uh, and say, I, hey, I can do this better, but you know, you're so much better than me in this other thing, so I need some help. Having said that, there are certain sort of table stake, right? I mean, you if you if you're going to be a leader, uh, there is certain level of communication that is just required, um, and and so you need to work at that. Uh, and I think some of the things that we talked about is practicing, uh, observing uh, people who you think do that well, right? So when when you go to events, conferences, uh, listen to uh, things being delivered, said, uh, maybe there are people in your company uh, who communicate the information really well, whose budgets are always approved, whose headcounts are always growing, right? <laughs> I think it's really finding out, well, what's the, how are they actually communicating and making that case? Uh, and then learn by observing, learn by doing, learn by practicing, uh, and and get help. Um, augment your team, augment your skill set. Um, I think that's, it. there is really no silver bullet, right? It's, I think it is like acquiring and mastering any other skill, right? You have to, you have to be aware that you need it, you have to be honest about where you are. You have to be authentic uh, so that you're not changing too much, that you know, you're no longer the person that that is that that is doing this. Uh, but then, you know, you you work at it. But isn't part of being a leader bringing out leadership qualities in others that maybe don't know that they have it? So I'm not talking about necessarily forcing every single person to become a master at this, but there's going to be some people who have potential and are a little bit hesitant and need some encouragement in order to fill that fulfill that potential. And so in the context of communicating in IT, kind of up the chain and across to other um, you know, divisions that are less technical, there's going to be some people who, who can do that, but just aren't doing that. So my question is, how do, maybe, maybe the question is how to identify who those people are who have that potential and then how to encourage them and uh, um, guide them to become better. Yeah, so I, I think for, for to identify that is one as leader, uh, and I think in one of the episodes we talked about this, you gotta get out and, and, and build connection uh, and talk to people. 
Um, I have, I love fly, fly on the wall meeting, right? Being fly on the wall. I have asked uh, to be that. Um, I make people do that. Uh, I have begged uh, uh, our business stakeholders to say, hey, can, can two people from my team just sit and I promise they won't say anything. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, because we really want to uh, see you in the wild. Right. So if you're if you are going to a, a customer or an agency presentation, we want to actually see that in action uh, to understand what goes on there. Uh, so I think uh, you create a lot of opportunities uh, to identify who has the inclination and the potential. Um, and then I think you give them stage. You, you actually invite them. Uh, into a safer environment, right? Um, where they could start uh, fine-tuning those skills. So one of the other things we did was uh, host these lunch and learns uh, internal to our department where uh, uh, teams that normally wouldn't work with each other uh, came in, brought their own lunch, uh, and they got to present uh, in front of their peers. So in some ways, a friendly group. Uh, what they were working on. Uh, and that was a good way to uh, test out the skills uh, of communication uh, in a safe environment before going out and presenting to the stakeholders in business. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Ishid. I, I think having those opportunities to audit and then also practice are you know, two great approaches. I kind of also, though, since we're talking about this, I'm, I'm starting to think about this in three different areas. You know, there's the assigned leaders, those in a, in a position, there are a certain set of skills that, yes, you must master. And that kind of goes without saying, and communication's a, a big part of that. I think then there's the natural leaders, right? The, the unappointed leaders that are within the organization that people turn to and follow. And, you know, to your point, Jake, I think identifying those folks and, and working with them to amplify that natural ability I think is is difficult, but when you can get it right, hugely valuable. And so um, I think it's, Tishit's point is finding those opportunities to get out into the organization where, where there's space for those folks to bubble up. Um, and then there's the aspiring leaders. And I think that's really where that maybe the easiest opportunity, right? Where um, they've set a goal for themselves. This is something that what they were they're working towards and and that's a great place to find folks in that sort of position to then help them hone those skills because there's the most important thing exists there which is a desire to do it right but, uh, learning uh learning without the desire to to be doing it it can be quite painful so i think you know identify those folks and and um i think the return there is is much greater for for a leader and um, and what you'll end up with is this a bench right, of, of up and coming leaders that create longevity for the organization. Right. Something for everyone. Exactly. A common theme in clear communication was finding ways to connect the dots with something people understand. One example I really liked was running this program on AWS costs us less than a Starbucks venti a day. Also, always have visual aids. As always, remember to submit your questions on the Enterprise Strategy blog or reach out to us directly on LinkedIn. And we'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. See you next time.